Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball. It's a beautiful, snowy Monday morning, February 22nd, 2021. He is Tristan Happy Cockroft. Happy that he's got a shovel more snow today. Kyle Sapi produces and researches our fine show, and I am merely Eric Carabell, and I have become comfortably numb to the weather and lots of other things going on in this world. Um, Tristan, how are you this hello, fine day? Hello. Is there some snow out there? Nice. <laughs> nice. I like yes. It. Yes. Oh, I love the song reference to start this off. Nice work. Listen to Floyd today, uh, post show run, but it looks like the run's going to be inside. Um, all right, lots to get to on, to, on today's show. Injuries. Um, actually, not a whole lot of signings that matter, but one in the closer carousel we will get to a little later on. We got trivia and, of course, your hash browns, as always. Uh, the lead story today, I think it has to be about catchers and JT Real Muto. And maybe this is nothing. Uh, or maybe it's something, but this reinforced um, my trending opinion, which is more like our points league colleague, AJ Mass. So the the three rankings we have right now on Philadelphia Phillies catcher, JT Real Muto, are starkly different. You have him like number 50 overall. Uh, AJ has him like number 150 overall, and I have him at 102. And the two of you had him in these spots before the news that he had broken his finger. It's a small thumb fracture uh, catching a Jose Alvarado pitch. Well, he didn't catch it. He caught it with his bare hand. Um, Injury occurred uh, more than a week ago. They're saying he might be ready for opening day, but I don't care. This kind of reminds me why I don't want catchers. And in the case of Rio Muto, I was ranking him in a spot where I wouldn't take him. And I thought, that's ridiculous. So I'm moving him back and I don't want him in the first 10 rounds, but you still do. So let's get your opinion here on JT. My, My point overall is Catchers don't play as much as other positions because they get hurt more. A lot of times it's minor injuries that affect them at the plate. This is a broken thumb, which certainly can affect a hitter in April. But um, you still want Real Muto in round six. Please tell us why. (laughs) I want him in round seven for the record now. I'll have that update going up today. Uh, 65th overall in the initial draft before I publish it. Um, So this did have a little bit of an impact for me. And for Real Muto... I'm actually most bothered by the fact that the NL won't have the DH because I would be more optimistic about Real Muto performing initially in April if they had the DH to drop him into like they did on occasion last season. Um, I still want him, though, because I think it's the wrong reaction to take this injury and use it as an argument against paying up for a catcher. And you know I rail against paying up for catchers. He is the exception now in a pool that is dropped off substantially over the past three seasons. And I, I like your approach in ESPN leagues. I mean, this is obviously it's league, league context dependent. You know, catchers have a different approach in any different kind of league type. But if you wait on catcher, like you're suggesting in ESPN leagues and you go too, you swing the, the pendulum too far in that direction. I, I think you're getting yourself into um, doing too much homework at the position piecing it together too much. And I'm not so sure you're going to find somebody who succeeds. I, I dug into the numbers on this one and you know, only 15 catchers even had top 500 overall value. That means only 15 catchers by the player Raiders estimates, and they don't have a position waiter were even worth having as catchers. So you're in severe danger of having a guy who hurts your team, not a matter of, you know, doesn't do anything or contributes very little actively hurts your team. Real Muto has been very consistent. If you project his numbers over the past five years, 559 plate appearances, 
for one for 162 team games. That's pretty darn good and with strong production. So this is a player that over the past three full seasons, okay, let's take out 2020 here. Over the, th- the three prior seasons, he averaged 137 games, 21 home runs, 74 runs batted in, seven steals, and batted 277. Good numbers, best catcher in, in fantasy. But those numbers don't match up to other sixth and seventh round picks. You do agree with that, yes? I do, and that's the total wrong way of looking at it because it's about the value relative to replacement. And if you're going to take the catcher there, you have to look at who you're getting at the end of the draft at that other position. And there's no comparison between the 25th round outfield pick, say, and the 25th round catcher. So I, I, I see your point about the total numbers, but that to me, it's about the level of replacements. Lever. Okay, so you think that streaming catcher is a bad idea for people that want to do it? So I the, think it's the best dangerous. way to do this is to just take real Muto. <laughs> no, I think it is harder to do it than we are making it out here, and I want people to understand that. You're right that this is a strategy that can be done with success. You have done it with success, but you are putting in a level of attention that I'm not sure people are prepared for. And if you look at the players in that range of the pool, it could go pretty badly. Last year, by the way, 60 game, uh, and I'll use last year because it's a 60 game snippet and you know over 60 games the roles are a little bit more crystallized teams aren't going to change catchers as quickly over a 60 game period or as they do over a 162 game period and of the 11 catchers who had draft worthy ADPs they were in the top 250 of ESPN leagues six of them were not worth they didn't return value worth being in an ESPN league six of those 11 Okay, so your your answer to so right now, and I know you're going to move him later today, but right now you have him ranked over Glaber Torres, who could be a 30 home run hitting shortstop. The top closers, Catal Marte. Okay, so like I'm just my point is you would take JT Real Muto over the best closer, a 30 homer shortstop, Marte, who was an MVP candidate two years ago, Conforto, Castellanos, Rosarena, Javi Baez, all these star players. You would rather have the number one catcher who now is recovering from a broken thumb, which could sap power and do whatever else. They could tell us he's ready for opening day, but I'm not going to believe he's hitting home runs on opening day. It's a broken thumb. I, I'm i more on A.J. Mass's side now that taking a catcher in the first 10 rounds is a mistake. I'm not saying I'll wait till the last round. I might take one. I might take Wilson Contreras in round 15. I just can't take a catcher in the first 10 rounds. I can't do it. I won't do it. I'm not going to throw AJ under the bus here. By the way, we'll have him on the show so we can explain this himself next week. But the league context matters to me. And I am a little bit surprised to see him rank that low in a points league where I'm JT Romuto to me is more valuable in a points league than he is in a traditional roto. He's also more valuable in anything that gets rid of batting average and does sabermetric categories because the position is woefully weak in the ones that use on base and slugging percentage. But no, I would not take him over any of the names that you just mentioned there because I moved him down to 65th. But that still means I'm putting him ahead of Charlie Blackman. I'm putting him ahead of Brandon Lau. I'm putting him ahead of Araldus Chapman. I'm putting ahead of Matt Olson, who I like a, a pretty decent amount. Once you get past those top 50 locked-in players, then I think it's time to pounce for JT Romuto. I did move him down a little bit. I just don't think that this is a panic button situation. To me, I'd say, give me the number. Give me the number in the 10-team ESPN League where you're going to start thinking about Real Muto if he slides. I'm not going to take him in the first 10 rounds. I'm not going to take a catcher. I'll take a catcher. I'll start in round. Look, I need to do a couple mock drafts at ESPN 
Okay. And we'll start those soon to figure out what I think in an ESPN league, because it's not like any other league. It's only one catcher. I've done other drafts and I can tell you where my button was to start thinking about catcher was not round five or six. It just isn't. But in round 14, like I mentioned with Contreras or Grandal, who you have ranked in round 15 or Darno, I would start, if they're available there, I would think about it. If not, I would wait even longer um, I'm fine with streaming the position in the ESPN league. There's going to be plenty of catchers that don't get drafted. While we're at it, who are your favorite streamable catchers that you don't think will be drafted or you think can be available in the final round or two? And this this is a good way of looking at it is that there are guys who have value here. I like Carson Kelly a pretty decent amount. I actually like with the talk that Jorge Alfaro is going to regain his catcher position, play the majority of the time in Miami. I think he could be a pretty decent value. A little bit more lukewarm on Dalton Varsho, who we mentioned before in the position podcast, the position breakdown podcast, because it's likely that Cattell Marte moves into center field. And the hope was that Varsho could gain the better side of the platoon in center field. I don't think that's happening necessarily. Uh, if you're going a little bit deeper, let's go super deep. I'll throw Tom Murphy. I still think he has pretty decent pop. I think you are going to be piecing it together and moving on pretty quickly, you know, at, at that spot. I want to give you one other angle to this Real Muto news. Yeah. You've brought up many times your lack of concern about players who have what are not significant injuries during spring training and likely to begin the season on the injured list. And if Real Muto is projected to return by April 15th, this is the Jason Schmidt rule for you. It's I could use Carlos Delgado as my example for this. Don't you think there's a point at which we panic too much about this injury and Real Muto becomes a relative bargain? It goes by the same thing as Schmidt. Absolutely. Sure. I think for any player, if they fall too far. Um, and you're right. There could be an immediate panic here in drafts if his ADP drops too much. You dropped him, what, seven spots? Um, I don't want to say that I, dro- I don't want to say that I dropped him a couple rounds because of the news, but I was going to do it anyway because I'm I'm not saying I'm siding on AJ's side. Again, we'll get his side at another time. But mm-hmm. – I just catchers don't play as much. They get hurt more. Um, It affects offense when stuff happens to them. We don't even know half the time that they get hit by a ball somewhere and it affects them at the plate. And by the way, real Muto hasn't even played the last two, last two Septembers down the stretch because of injury. And he's 30. He's not 26. So he's not going to, he is not going to be the catcher that changes history at this position and get better as he gets older. He's going to get worse. And the Phillies are going to resent this, regret this contract in three or four years. I guarantee it. Now, maybe not this year, but maybe. if Look, and if he plays in 120 games this year, Tristan, he's not doing what you think he's going to do. He's not. So if he misses half or all of April, he's not going to do it. I I just think you're wrong. I I agree with you on the life of the contract. I think for this year, you're wrong. He's been catching one. If we're having a show, catch a one. Take it to two different leagues. If we have a show in September and he's on pace to play 120 games and hit 16 home runs, I want you to say, yeah, you're right. Absolutely up to it. You're correct on the risk of this, but he is the one exception of the catcher you can trust in in an era where catchers are just dreadful. Let's move on now to this Mariners news, which is terrible and not tremendous. Uh, And Buster's show can talk more about the ramifications overall. But from a fantasy aspect of the news that came out of Seattle this weekend, I want to talk about Jared Kalenic and Logan Gilbert, uh, young outfielder, young pitcher. The news for us, okay, let's stick to our news, 
is that these guys will be up in April. Kalanick might be up in mid-April. Logan Gilbert, a very good young starting pitcher in late April. This has to affect our projections and our rankings. These are potentially impactful players. Um, take out your feelings of what happened and talk about just the ramifications here of Kalanick getting 500 plate appearances and Gilbert getting 25 starts. This is a big deal. Like, I'm thinking of Kalanick now. Is round 12 too early? You tell me. Where are you moving Kalanick to? This We think he's going to be great. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. To the point that last year, I really thought that he had a chance at earning a spot on the 2020 roster. I think he is about ready. And I'd like to be aggressive in drafting him. At the beginning of the offseason, I ranked him... I think I ranked him around the 12th round range that you were talking about. And I've moved back and forth. I dropped him down when I thought it was likely he'd spend more of the year in the minors down to the 350, 400 range. And, you know, maybe I should be more optimistic. I don't know. These are the kinds of guys that move a lot during the spring training rankings, depending on how things progress over uh, week over week. Right. But I could see a scenario here. Maybe this is too optimistic. If Kalanick is coming up in mid-April, this is the Chris Bryant, delay his service time, you know, mess him up for the last year and give him all the playing time after that, like he's barely in the minors. This is a potential 2020 guy who hits 280 to me or maybe a 25 homer, 15 steal guy. And I'm looking at some of the rankings, uh, some of the alphas that we have ranked here in the top 150. And I'm thinking, well, would I rather have him than say Max Kepler or Ian Happ? Or Tommy Pham, who's a power speed guy who you have ranked in the top 100. Or Buxton, who we know. I mean, there's no way he's playing enough games to justify these rankings. So, or Biggio, who's a low batting. Kevin Biggio is a low batting average, but a 20 homer, potential 20 steal guy. Is it Kalenic? Like, why wouldn't we take Kalenic over Biggio if we know he's going to hit for a higher batting average? He might play just as much. I, I kind of think Kalenic deserves, I'm, now I'm talking him up as a top 100 guy. Yeah, I, I like the optimism. I think he is that good a player. And if you're talking about rookies for the season, he has a high likelihood of being a rookie of the year, elite first uh, first place ballot kind of guy. Um, I, I wish I had the exact, I'll have to dig up my, my files from the beginning of the offseason to tell you exactly where he was. He probably was around that 140 range where you mentioned Happ and Kepler. And when you say Kepler, Kepler, I have some concerns about. So that could very well be the range for him. It's, I, I think I would like to see what his spring plays out like first. Because, like, yeah, maybe I should just jump right in. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I, it's tough. I, I'm trying to be cautious, okay? I'm trying to be cautious for the rookie, but yeah. when we 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 both think Jared Klenick, former Met farmhand, <laughs> ridiculously, yeah. is going to be a really good fantasy option. And if Seattle is saying that he's up in mid-April, that's a lot of PAs. That's a lot of power, speed. I I, I keep moving about my rankings, which will be posted today. Thinking like like Tommy Pham is not playing 150 games. He never does, and we think he's a power speed guy. I think Kalenic's doing the same thing. So I might be ranking Kalenic top 100 now. Let's put it that way. Yeah, we'll see. I could be wrong. I, I And, you know, maybe I'm too aggressive there, but I think he's going to be just awesome for fantasy. I, no, I think I think you're, I, I'll say I probably will bring him up to about 200 overall today and hoping for better. And Seattle's I think, I think, offense. By the way, Seattle, good, to get him, 
majors yeah. before Julio Rodriguez. I feel the thing about the Mariners to me is that they have a lot of young prospects who are coming up very quickly, and the outfield is going to get a little cluttered, especially with the Mitch Haniger news that he's looking pretty healthy. Um, yeah, what what do you think of Rodriguez that? Because two. The, Rodriguez might spend most of the year in the minors, but with Kyle Lewis and Kalenic up, right. is there room for Haniger? They, they, have, um, they, have, they have a lot of pieces. I, I think there's room for these guys. And as you said, if Rodriguez is in the minors, there's a way that they could play guys like Lewis and Kalenic and um, and Hanniger at the same time. But yeah, it's gonna there's going to be a clutter problem for the Mariners at some point. If it's not this year, it's going to be next. So pitching is different, obviously. But Logan Gilbert, a polished young prospect, right-hander. Right now, Seattle's rotation is very left-handed. Marco Gonzalez, the underrated Marco. James Paxton, he's not making more than 25 starts. Kikuchi, who knows? Justice Sheffield. And then after that, not much. Justin Dunn, maybe. So if Gilbert makes 25 starts, can you make the case? Like, so there are... I'm not hearing that Michael Kopech is somebody who I want to draft because now the White Sox are saying he might even go to the bullpen. So I'm kind of like fading in drafts that I've done already some of these right-handed power pitching prospects. And Gilbert is not going to be a 200-strikeout guy necessarily. But like if we rank – who's a good comp here? Like Tristan McKenzie, for example. I don't think you can tell me that McKenzie makes more starts this year than Logan Gilbert. Everybody's drafting McKenzie in their top 200. Nobody's thinking of Gilbert at all. With this weekend news – I think I'd rather have Gilbert than McKenzie. Is that crazy? No, because you're picking your young, yet-to-be-proven type, and I think you have every right to choose the one that you feel better about the skill set, the overall makeup. Uh, I think for me is I, I prefer the pitcher has already had a little bit of the taste of major league uh, hitters at this stage, and it's not by much. But in this case, Gilbert, it's nine starts in double A. I can see the case where he might be able to use a little time at AAA just to begin the year. And that 25 starts could be a little aggressive. I like him a lot. I think he's a very good prospect. I mean, you're talking about good control, misses bats. He's got all the combinations of things. Um, little fly ball leaning. That's the only thing I'd kind of be bothered by. But it's a good park for it. <laughs> That'll help him. Let's talk some older pitchers now who are already in camp. Max Scherzer has an ankle injury, an ankle sprain from early February. They do not expect that to be a long-term issue. Uh, Corey Kluber feels good after his first bullpen session. Of course he does. What are they going to say? Syndergaard uh, <laughs> goes on the 60-day injured list. Uh, maybe in June. We'll see. Um, any thoughts on any of these guys, Scherzer, Kluber, who we rank? You rank them well. Um, I rank Scherzer well. Kluber, not as well as you, but... Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if Kluber makes 28 starts or eight. I just don't know. The toughest part with Kluber for me is it's going to be more difficult for somebody like me to get to personally witness a lot of his throwing. And what I'm not looking for, what I'm looking for is not the fastball velocity. It's how the other pitches look. It's all about the secondary pitches for him. And if they are sharp, I do have uh, optimism about him. And right now I do in the rankings have that optimism. But beyond that, I don't think there's a lot here other than, you know, the whole best shape of my life kind of commentary. I'm in the best shape of my life. Are you? I'm in a shape of my life. <laughs> Chris Paddock says he's been working on spin rate. That's awesome. Um, we had him ranked as a top 20 starting pitcher last year, uh, but nobody does now. What uh, What is your take on this? Because you know, he's a young pitcher. It's a good ballpark, good young team. It's going to score him plenty of runs. We waste a lot of time talking about Corey Kluber, but Chris Paddock is a guy who we thought was going to be a fantasy ace, and then he wasn't. 
Um, do you move him up? Do you do you think he's a potential top twenty starting pitcher? He has to be, right? He's a top 20 potential. Absolutely. I, I am in on Chris Paddock. I think this is the Luis Castillo career path to success. And you remember Castillo stepped forth in a big way in the year the Paddock is in. And I pointed out previously on the show that it was the forcing fastball. That was a big concern to me. Uh, I find it. <laughs> hey, way to go. Way to go, Chris, for uh, acknowledging that these numbers are pretty important that he, he, said himself he didn't really look too much into them initially and then when it was showed to him he's like oh wow i i this is a little piece of news that i'm optimistic about but i'm not moving him in my rankings because i already had that optimism he was 31st for me among starting pitchers you so much to watch with the padres starting pitching um darvish snell Denelson lamette who says he's 100 healthy if that's the case then i would have to rank him in the top 20 but i haven't done it yet why would you could you rank Lamette over Chris Chris Paddock right now and feel safe about it, yeah. good about it? Yeah, you can. Okay, and I do. I Not do too, point. but that's because I don't rank Paddock as well as as a, you know. He didn't have a great year; he looked bad. But you know, maybe he's making changes. And then we don't really discuss Joe Musgrove a whole lot, but that's a guy who has upside. You know, getting out of Pittsburgh. I mean, obviously, great pitching part that he's leaving, but there's upside there for a good whip. Well, certainly wins. He has to stay healthy. I mean, they all have to stay healthy. And then we're watching their bullpen as well. We don't really know who for sure who the closer is, but that starting rotation, man, it could be fantastic. And then they get Clevenger back, you know, for 2022. Lots to watch. Um, yeah, I want to see what I want to see Lamette and Paddock and Musgrove throw this spring. I have an article up talking about players to watch in spring training. And certainly the Padres, it's something to watch. You know, I mean, I, I want to see what they're doing. I, what do you do with Otani? I wrote about him. So the article had, a, had like a headline here, hitters, pitchers, and Otani's to watch. And I, I, Otani is a, you always have to watch him. The Angels are optimistic. They wanted to be a starting pitcher every Sunday. They wanted him to be a DH three, four days a week. Uh, I'm fading him in all my leagues. Um, you got another email. What do you think? I mean, what are you, what are you doing with Otani in your leagues? Like I, Otani over clinic. I can't do it. I wouldn't do it, but you know, maybe you would. I, today I'm going to rank that way. I, I don't feel super enthusiastic about it. Uh, I mean, the Otani thing is that's another guy who did the whole driveline baseball visit thing. Did that help him? I don't know. Uh, I, I think it's more about the health on the pitching mound for him as to what his value, as to how his value goes. If we could lock him in as an everyday designated hitter, we might have one look at him. If he's going to be the, the, two-way player thing again we'll look at him another way if we're going to you know criticize him for the injury things we're gonna i mean we could be looking at a hundredth overall ranking we could be looking at 175th or we could be looking at borderline draftable in espn leagues it's why i made him my divisive player in the roundtable we did this past week because i just don't know exactly what to make of him you know there's obviously waste gain from having otani on your fantasy team because you know the numbers but you can in the espn league you can only play him a pitcher or hitter that week in a weekly league, right? So the well, yeah, I, and you're taking a weekly outlook at it. That the advantage for our game is that in the league's standard that have daily transactions, you can maximize his value. So for us, he's actually more valuable than he would be offsite or in weekly formats. I play mostly in weekly, and if I had Otani as a starting pitcher and he was pitching Sunday, but then maybe he gets pushed back or a day. Like, you know, like there's so much risk in taking a starting pitcher who's not on a five-day rotation and not being sure what he's going to do. Most of my leagues are going to be weekly leagues because I'm lazy I'm and I'm not playing daily. By the way, the one thing about that is 
it actually bothers me in a weekly league that he is pitching the Sundays because if something goes awry, there's nothing you could do about it to change your lineup and you lose that start. Rainouts too. Rainouts alter yeah, the schedule. That's my point. They get yeah. nothing. So I'm with you. Yeah. In a weekly league like labor, much less interested. Not interested is basically my answer there. Ian Desmond opted out again. I'd say he's doing the Rockies a favor here. Um, we probably had him ranked, if, if barely at all, at the back end of the top 300. Uh, it's been a while. But right now they're outfield. Ray Mel Tapia, um, Sam Hillard in center, maybe. And then Charlie Blackman in right field. Uh, Blackman's a guy, who, if he's not stealing bases, he's not nearly as valuable as he used to be. Are there any other outfit? Garrett Hampson could play some center field, I suppose. What a weird lineup. I mean, I'm looking at that lineup. I see Trevor Story. I like him. And I'm going to recommend CJ Cronin in the later rounds. But And Brendan Rodgers, I named one of my guys to watch in the spring training because I think he could win the second base job. But an unrocky like lineup there for sure. My goodness. Yeah. And if I look at some of the guys in camp, there's nobody who just stands out as a gotta make the team. So that could very well be a piece it together outfield. Interestingly enough, for the Rockies, again, going to our daily transactions. If they piece things together by the matchups, could be streaming opportunities for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Tapia is a left-handed batter. I assume maybe he leads off. or I, Yeah, I just I don't even know like the formation of their lineup or anything right now. You don't want their pitchers. Um, your team signed Brett Gardner again. Does that affect Clint Frazier's plate appearances, or is this just because we know Judge and Stanton are going to miss you know 500 plate appearances at least between them? Probably more. <laughs> Don't forget Aaron Hicks in center field. Gardner can fill in a little bit there too. So it, it yeah, attracts I mean, a little bit. Do you want Brett not- Gardner? AL only, Brett Gardner. Like, what? Uh, give me his numbers. Is he getting 400 plate appearances? If he is, that's a problem, but he probably is, right? I'll probably project him at about 350 right now. A, a lot of defensive replacement appearances, I think. And yeah, there will be injury stints where he's going to find himself in the outfield. But I think that it is going to be Frazier's job. Frazier will start two-thirds of the games in left field, I think. Speaking of Frazier, Todd Frazier is a pirate now. Maybe they'll platoon first baseman with Kyle Moran, although my first thought here was they can't demote Cabrian Hayes, can they? Because they wouldn't even, like, save on service time, I don't think. And he's already been up, but it could. I mean, they could demote Cabrian Hayes. They shouldn't demote Cabrian Hayes. But anyway, Todd Frazier's a pirate. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because I said earlier in a podcast at some other point, that Kyle Moran is like a potential 30 home run guy. He's got power against right-handers, not a very good against lefties. But, um, you know, Frazier could just be a depth move. I mean, it's not like C.J. Crone. I expect Crone to be the everyday first baseman of Colorado and maybe hit 25 home runs. I don't think Todd Frazier is doing that for Pittsburgh. But, you know, it, it's interesting anyway. It, it is. I don't think he's going to get himself a regular job there. I, I mean, I don't think demoting Hayes to the mic. I agree with you. It's a bad idea. Uh, if we looked at Todd Frazier being in CJ Crone's situation in Colorado and vice versa, Crone in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think we'd probably look at these players the way we do, you know, Crone. You get the idea. It's the whole vice versa thing. <laughs> Frazier, I think, is, as you said, very likely to just be the platoon made for Moran. I've already done a draft where I took Crone and I'm like thinking, yeah, he's getting 500 plate appearances and hitting 25 home runs. It wasn't early. It was in the later rounds. I saved a corner spot thinking that nobody would look at him because he wasn't ranked highly in that draft because he had, he had signed after. But I mean, I'm trying to think what the first basemen were available at the time. I mean, we're talking like first base is not great, man. After the top, after the first 15 rounds. I mean, assume guys like Hoskins, Josh Bell, Sano are going, you know, round 15 or a little bit earlier. 
Christian Walker, Jared Walsh, I like. But you can't tell me that, you know, Yuli Gurriel is definitely going to have a better season than CJ Krohn or Hunter Dozier or Carlos Santana. I mean, I think they're kind of similar. So I ain't taking Votto or Belt. First base dies after a certain point, you know, like there's just nothing there. And by the way, in Crohn's case, if you're looking at ADPs, understand that he was on the free agent market deep into the offseason. I myself, I have to move these players down if it looks like jobs aren't and certainly not full time jobs are there for the taking. And he just happened to fall into one of the best situations a free agent could ask. Yeah, he's on a non guaranteed deal, but I agree with you. He's more likely than not to make the team. And that swings his his ranking and his IDP, uh, his ADP up maybe 50, 75 spots. Uh, let's talk a little bit about a closer who signed. You have a song for us for the carousel. It's the closer carousel. Never gets old, my friend. Trevor Rosenthal signed a deal with Oakland. It might only be a one-year deal, but it's pretty clear that he's not going to be sharing that closer role with anybody if he's healthy. And our our dreams of Jake Diekman getting 20 saves are now over. Um, but overall, Trevor Rosenthal... As a top 10 closer, I'd say you got to you gotta do it, right? I mean, this is a guy who I – where do I rank him? Now, yours, I don't see him. Maybe 11. that's because have you have him 11. I, I went – I flip-flopped between Yates, Hand, and Rosenthal. Yeah, you know what? Um, I don't have Hand there because I think that might go poorly. But Yates and Rosenthal, to me, are very similar. Former Padres who, with Yates, it's health. With Rosenthal, it's walks. Um I got them both in the top 10 over Kenley Jansen, over Brad Hand, over the potential non-closers who strike everybody out like Nick Anderson and Devin Williams and Pomerantz, who knows. But uh, yeah, Trevor Rosenthal, man, that could be – it's a good team. It's a good ballpark. Uh, if he's throwing strikes, I mean, that it, he could he could be the number one closer in fantasy this season. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the walks are probably the obstacle towards him getting there, but it's not inconceivable to see him save 40 games and with, uh, you know, this kind of guy I could give you 100, well, close to 100 strikeouts. And if that's the case, yeah, if yeah. They use him the way they used uh, Liam Hendricks for more more than three batters at a, three outs at a time, then yeah, Trevor Rosenthal could get 100 strikeouts. Sure. Um, you know, I keep reading about players who could be traded before opening day. And one of them is Pittsburgh's closer, Richard Rodriguez. And maybe we don't care, but Richard Rodriguez, we rank as a closer, like a potential top 20 closer, even if he wasn't going to get a ton of saves, even bad teams get saves. Um, he could have gotten 25 saves with Pittsburgh, but on the potential that he gets traded to a team where he's a setup man, you wouldn't draft him at all. Would you, who would close in Pittsburgh? Like Michael Felice, Kyle Crick. That's a mess. That whole team's a mess. Yeah, they have a couple of youngsters who they're looking at down the road, but I don't think are factors necessarily to be – certainly not to begin this year, and I don't know whether it's going to be at all this season. Rodriguez, he did make some adjustments that could make him worthy for ratios and strikeouts in another bullpen, but I don't feel like that's a natural uh, pick. But I'm much more optimistic about him if he does remain at Pittsburgh. If he doesn't get traded, I actually think he's a very good value among closers, has top 20 positional value. I agree. Um, Just going over some thoughts in my head here on news that I'm reading. It looks like Arizona could be a competition between Joaquin Soria and Stefan Crichton. That'd be interesting there. Um, Atlanta was thinking of signing Trevor Rosenthal, uh, which might pretend that a right-hander could get saves along with Will Smith. Like maybe Chris Martin ends up with 15 or 20 saves for the, for the Atlanta ball club. That, that'd be interesting because I'm assuming Will Smith's their closer, but maybe I shouldn't be assuming that. 
I can keep him in a league and now maybe I won't. Yeah, and Brian Snitker made, there were actually a lot of managerial comments over the past week about what the approach was to closers. I know Detroit also had one. Yep. Uh, there were a couple of the teams, but Atlanta. Boston, could be the Boston's closer now. Yeah. Right. So so when it comes to Will Smith, Snitker said that Smith is probably going to be the guy, but that he's considering different options. And I like what you mentioned about Martin. Martin is another guy who, like Richard Rodriguez, has made some pitch selection adjustments over the past two to three years that give him the look of a closer. So definitely, if you're speculating on possible closers, he's one who should be on your list. And let me get your opinion on this. You haven't read it yet, or maybe maybe you have. I think I included you on it. But St. Louis, um, if they if if Schilt, Mike Schilt wants his closer to be a strikeout option, it would not be Jordan Hicks. So I wrote that that the Cardinals are an interesting situation here because everybody's just assuming that Jordan Hicks is their closer, but Gallegos might be better suited for the role. Um, this is opportunity versus skills to some degree. What do you think? I actually think it's a perfect bullpen to go with mix and match that, if, that the style of pitcher should be deciding the, the save chance. But you're right that if it's going to be a power strikeout guy, Gallegos is frankly, I'll use head and shoulders as the description above the rest of that pack. Hicks throws hard, but you're right. He just he, he's a little more contact oriented than Gallegos is who, who definitely misses bats. Anyway, a closer situation to watch the next six weeks or so. Let's bring in our friend Kyle Sapi here. He has trivia and he has hash browns. That I do. Let's start with the trivia. One player in the outfield that does not rank in your top 75 overall has 40 steals and 40 homers since the beginning of 2018. So two and a half seasons or so, 40-40 club, but does not rank in your top 75 overall players heading into this season. So I'll let you stir on that for a little bit while we get to hash browns. Jared has a first hash brown, and it's how you start every day. He wants to know what your daily breakfast is, and then not related, do you prefer weekly or daily lineup? <laughs> ah, I love it. Maybe it is related. Tristan, what do you eat for breakfast? Maybe. He probably eats everybody up in his fantasy leagues. That's he, he wins every fantasy league, so oh. he starts his breakfast by just like chewing up the first, second, third team that week, and then spitting them out. I am not going to use the Happy Gilmore line here. I plan to survive on this podcast. <laughs> um, I actually, I you know, I've gotten really big into making the. I like it. I like my eggs. I like um, I'm using that that uh, meatless sausage kind of stuff. It's pretty good. Get a little bit more protein going on. You know, I mean, granted, I could get that from the regular sausage, but a little healthier of the two of them. But I like to do that little, you know, egg sausage, maybe a little cheese, make a little breakfast wrap. You? How do you like your eggs? Hmm? Scrambled omelets. How do you like your eggs? Scrambled? Okay. Yeah. Or omelets. Meatless sausage. How would that work? Okay. It's actually can... really good. It's a, I think it's uh, kind of mushroom heavy. Yeah, no. I eat a lot of oatmeal, probably five, five mornings a week. I mix in some raisins. It's good for you. That's why I do it. Factory? I've lost a lot of, I've lost weight. I feel good. I'm going to run in some snow today. Best shape of my life. Worst hair of my life. Um, anyway, daily or weekly. I like weekly because I'm lazy. And I do think that in daily leagues, you can, if you want to work harder than everybody else, you can do better. But um, at this stage of my life, being 29 years old, I like weekly better. You know, I like I like sitting there on Sunday nights and signing players and thinking of my lineups. And I don't know. I think there's a lot of strategy to that. Whereas daily, 
you know, you're sitting there at 645 waiting to hear lineups uh, for the seven o'clock game. And I mean, I, I, there's a lot of value in that too, but Tristan, you're probably more into it than I am. He's yeah, counting in his pick, head. Very quickly trying to calculate the number of days that the season would be for this year. It's usually in the range of 182 days. 180. Yeah. Um, I actually think it's more because of the Thursday starts. I, I'll have to give you an exact number, and I should know that as a forecaster kind of guy. Um, you can you can never go on vacation, ever. You can't go away for a weekend, ever, on daily. And yeah, okay, you've got the app on your phone, but then you have to remember to go in and change things, and I want to check my lineups each and every day. The team's released lineups on those days to maximize what I have. It's It, frankly, is kind of exhausting to do a daily league. If you have that kind of attention, that's great, but I, I'm with you. I do prefer weekly leagues. I mean, I was sitting there like at like a romantic dinner on my, my, my anniversary, you know, looking at lineups at 630. And I'm thinking, why am I doing this? Because I want to win this league. And I was like, I like weekly better. And you could you could look at me however you want listening to the show. I'm just telling you the truth. I like weekly better. You know, I can't do it anymore. I should not be able to eat you for breakfast for doing what you just described. It should not be an advantage. Well, a lot of people want to do that. Kyle, break the tie. <laughs> Kyle, you, you you shook your head when I said what I said. No, I I didn't shake my head. I I get where you're going. I like the homework aspect of it, but it is exhausting. Weekly's easier. I came up in daily, so that's kind of like my bread and butter, and I've slowly kind of weaned off of it. So I'm I'm down the middle. I'd say half my leagues are one, half for the other. So I don't really have a preference. But I think if you're going for a bunch of leagues, it's going to be hard to do daily. I mean, we have, we had, until one of us dropped out, a daily new league, and I won it. But I wasn't going into it every day. I was setting my lineups three, four days in advance based on the starting pitchers, or I was just leaving most of my hitters in the lineup every day. They actually have some something in there where they remove a hitter who's not in the lineup, which I kind of like a lot. Um, but... You know, I was managing it best I could, but like Monday morning, I was doing like two, three days at a time. And then I would check in Wednesday or Thursday like that. I know you guys didn't like the league as much as I did, but it was fun for me. All right, let's move on to the next question there. Because, uh, you know, it, it, it takes time to do a daily league. It takes time to do a weekly as well. If, but, if you have fewer leagues, I would endorse more strongly the daily. Yeah. Also, I the don't have fewer leagues. <laughs> okay, what's next? Mike. Mike says his league is transitioning from redraft to keeper. It's a 10-team league. He wants to know what the major ranking and or strategic changes he should make. Hmm. Well, uh, you know, and by the way, this brought up something that we had an argument on the last show about keeper leagues or dynasty leagues. And, I, I, and after the show ended, I, I thought to myself, I just argued for keepers, not dynasty. Um, the argument we had made sense on the last show, but – my basic argument was really not about a dynasty format, but about a keeper format. And in a dynasty, you can keep everybody. In a keeper, you can keep only a certain amount. And that's my more of my argument made sense for that. So let's have Tristan answer this question because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. There's a first of all, Tristan, explain the difference between a dynasty league and a keeper league because there is a major difference there. And I was arguing for keepers and not dynasty. And some people pointed that on Twitter and I thank them. You can say whatever you want to me on Twitter. I don't care. I'll just turn off the app. But like I was arguing the wrong thing. I had the right argument for the wrong thing there. Yeah. And part of the argument we had was, and I, I'd call it a debate. I'm, I don't like using argument as a negative connotation. I understood where you were coming from is that was 
to me the difference between the two. And I know you understood that a lot of times we rapidly are shooting through these questions and it's tough to get the nuances. Um, the difference is that, as you mentioned, dynasty leagues. And the reason I don't do the dynasty and say dynasty is that you could keep those guys forever. There's very often not something contractual involved in, in having the players. So if you get Torkelson, um, you can typically have him the entirety of his career. Uh, these leagues will often do things called the first play, first year player draft. So, for example, we get a lot of people asking, you know, can I get this player in the ESPN player pool? And we're, we're aggressively trying to get every single one of those players in there. I'm focusing my, my efforts on it. That's the reason why. They want to draft the players who got taken in 2020, the Austin Martins, the Nick Gonzalez's, the Spencer Torkelson's, and then have them for the entirety of their career. A keeper league, mean, meanwhile, traditionally will have a contract system. There's a limited amount of time you can keep a player, and usually it'll be 10 to 12 teams, and you can keep up to 10. So you have to be more discretionary as to who you're keeping. And then, Eric, I agree with you. I think in that case, I'm so much more apt to want Nelson Cruz on my team. All right, so let's have you answer this question here. If you're transfer transitioning right now from a redraft to a keeper, what what differences do you make? Obviously, are but I don't think you're thinking about Torkelson in a keeper league right now. You're thinking about still winning now, but I mean, how, what differences would you make in your rankings or projections based on I, that? I might consider Torkelson still in the keeper just because there's the chance he could play this season. But if the player isn't... So, for example, I think of Zach Veen, the Colorado Rockies. You're not going to see him this year. You're very likely not going to see him next year. I don't think he's really a factor in keeper leagues unless you somehow have a farm system. I have a farm system in mind where you can keep the players without a penalty against your keeper list. Um, First thing, redraft your league. Do not switch from a redraft league to a keeper league and say, hey, What's on your rosters today is what you get to keep. Because no, you did not structure those rosters based on the knowledge it was a keeper league. So be very careful about that. And the other is, yes, think a little bit year over year. Think about the age range of the player. Cruz is a lot lot less attractive in a keeper league than he is in a redraft league. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't draft him because, again, it's not a dynasty. Okay, what's next? I like that. Brad wants to kind of piggyback off of that. Do you think Andrew Vaughn holds redraft value? Doesn't Andrew Vaughn have more value than Spencer Torkelson, not only in a redraft because he could play early this year, but in a keeper? I mean, like, why are we assuming that Torkelson's going to be a 40, 120 guy? I mean, Vaughn could be that. I mean, I Andrew Vaughn, to me, the reason why I would take Kalenic over Vaughn right now is because Kalenic could steal bases. But Andrew Vaughn might actually win the DH job for the White Sox out of spring training. Yep. So he would play more than Kalenic in theory. It's two weeks, okay? But it's still two weeks. But I look at Andrew Vaughn. I mean, if we're talking CJ Crone, wouldn't you rather have Andrew Vaughn? If Andrew Vaughn makes the White Sox, he's going in like the 12th round of drafts, wouldn't he? Yeah. Yep. Without a doubt, I think he would. That's a that's I don't think he'd get into the top hundred, but he would he would definitely be up in the range we were just talking about, twelfth round-ish, even in the ESPN league. And rightfully so. It's a good ballpark for power. That's another thing that's gonna help his cause. I like the fact that the White Sox are talking aggressively about their prospects. And I'm a little bit more optimistic that Vaughn will make that team of the two. I mean, that's a right-handed power bat who knows the strike zone and should hit for a decent average. If I knew he was gonna make the team out of spring training, I'd probably project around 25 homers, 75 ribs, 275. But that's isn't that like a floor for Andrew Vaughn? Or maybe that's a maybe that's more than a floor, but it's maybe 20. I mean, 
this is the problem with prospects is that the floor is naturally lower because they have to adapt to major league pitching. And in Andrew Vaughn's case, you're looking 2019, the highest he got was high A. He hasn't played in double A. He hasn't played in triple A. And sure, he had some of the alternate camp time last year. But is that really the same level of competition? I'd argue no. I like that projection, 275 and 25. I think that, that that's... It's, it's more reason- than a floor. It's more than a floor. But yes, it's it's reasonable. And okay, that would make him draftable in the mid-rounds. Okay, next. Last one here comes from Raphael. He wants to know what Chris Sale's dynasty value is. Heck if I know. I mean... <laughs> Well, look, with Sale and Syndergaard, I think it's pretty similar, okay? We expect them around, I don't know, mid to late June, okay? And I think Sale is older. Definitely is older. Sale is 32. And Syndergaard is like 28, 29. Um, but they're they're both already in camp and they're throwing and they're, their teams are optimistic and I think their teams believe that they're contenders. So... Obviously, in a redraft, it's different. You're getting half a season at best. But in a dynasty, I think I'm more comfortable with Sale because I think I'll stay healthy. I mean, Syndergaard was always missing time with something. I just I can't assume that Cinder like how do I even assume that Syndergaard is more durable moving forward than Corey Kluber, who's quite a bit older? I can't even assume that. Or am I being too harsh? No, I don't think you are. And I think it is tough to judge with any of these three guys as to how the injuries will play out going forward. In Sale's case, um, the metrics pre-injury were elite. I mean, we're talking easily 30% strikeout rate. That is sky high for a starting pitcher. And most of the struggles he had did lean towards the injury influencing things. So I do think he could snap back pretty quickly. And it's the reason I would be slightly more optimistic about him i actually had him in my top 30 starting pitchers for dynasty well dynasty dynasty because dynasty to me is a little bit more towards keeper Dynasty's going to have some contracts in it dynasty is game of thrones let's bring kyle back and answer our trivia question here remind us what the question was and then uh we'll try to answer the question best we can i'm trying to think of alfred i'm looking at tristan's rankings here for alfreders who are power speed options that are not ranked in his top 75 and i've got a couple names one of which I just mentioned like 10 minutes ago, but maybe that's the right answer. But uh, Kyle, what was the question? I'm going to reset on the question here. 40 homers, 40 steals since 2018. The one outfielder that has done it that is in not in the top 75 in either one of your overall ranks for 2021. Which would make me think that that's probably a mistake. We don't like them enough, but... I mean, I'm looking at your list here. Fam, Myers, Loriano jump to the top of my list of guys who have power speed options that we don't rank in the top well, 75. You know, he snuck in a trivia question like this a year or two ago, and the answer to it was Ian Desmond, where it was, no, 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 we're not considering him at all. So I'm wondering yeah, is Desmond. question. Can't, Desmond didn't even play. No, I'm saying it's an example like that where the guy is clearly like the 400th best player and not more valuable than that. I'm, I'm, I'm on to you, Kyle. I know you and your trick question. I, I, I think this is fam, and I, I, I think who I just happened to mention earlier in the show, and I think he, Kyle wants, Kyle wants to know why we don't rank fam better. And to me, it's about durability. You are right. It is fam. All right, that's what I thought. Yeah, and that's no fun when you get the answer on the first guess. <laughs> Well, it's no fun when we get the answer 10 minutes before the question gets asked, Um, (laughs) which is kind of what happened there. Uh, But Tristan, answer the question. Why don't we rank fan better? For me, it's durability concerns. 
And I, I think that's most of it. Yes. I'm trying to. But why don't we rank fam over, but why do you rank Buxton over fam? Like I can't grasp the reasoning on that. I mean, you want to talk durability issues. There are different levels of dur- lack of durability, aren't they? Not that I want, want to have another 10 minute argument to end the show and expand it, but like your ranking on Buxton doesn't make any sense to me. He didn't even run last year. Yeah. yeah like, I know. Two walks and two steals. His year was really statistically weird. And the only thing I can say for Buxton is that the metrics, the underlying metrics suggested that there was a little growth in terms of the hit tool and power. And if he does couple that with the past stolen bases, his speed grades were still very good. He he could very well be a 2025 homer and 35 steel guy. And that would be excellent. Fam, the only other criticism I had about him beside the injuries was hitting a lot of balls in the ground. He is a very ground ball oriented hitter. So that was kind of an issue. I think it's important where he ends up in the lineup. Um, right. wouldn't you say, I mean, cause he could end up at the top of San Diego's lineup. And if he does that, we would definitely like him more than if he's batting sixth or seventh. But right now I just don't know. And, and part of his durability issues have not been really his fault. It's been his eyes. Right. So um, that's another he thing. Also had a Hammett injury. Uh, hammock bone injury last year. Got hit by a pitch and ear injury. That they could go Grisham at the top. They could go Fam at the top. They could go Cronenworth um, against right-handers. There's a lot of things that San Diego could do. But if Fam ends up batting like sixth or seventh behind the the heart of the order and Hosmer and Myers, then no, I'm not on board. But he is a 2020 potential guy. That's for sure. Not going to win a batting title. But by the way, with the Padres in the lineup, I think. They're also likely to go with different lineups based on the lefty or righty starting pitcher because Grisham, they were starting him every day against right-handed pitchers, and then they were putting him ninth against the lefties. So it could be Fam Grisham as a platoon in the top, the number one spot and the number eight spot. I bet Cronenworth plays a lot. I have no idea what to expect out of uh, Kim, who just came over. Um, Whether he was in the starting lineup, Profar could bat at the top. He's a switch hitter. It's going to be very interesting. All right, let's uh, finish up the show for today. And uh, thank everybody for listening to our little show, Fantasy Focus Baseball. Our intention is to do one show next week on Monday. AJ Mass will join me to talk points leagues. Uh, and then after that, we're going to go twice a week uh, until, you know, until, we can, till, until we're told to stop, <laughs> which probably won't be till October. We hope. Shows are better than one. <laughs> So, yeah, that's the dealio. One more week of just Monday, and then Monday, Thursday is what we're intending to do. But we have to stop today because I have to go outside and shovel some more snow. It is coming down really hard. Lots of snow. This will be, I don't know, the fourth or fifth time I've shoveled in February. I'm not enjoying it very much. Oh, you're lucky, sir. I'm lucky. What, you've shoveled more than that? It's snowed every other day here. Kyle, I bet you it's the same for you, too, right? Connecticut is joyous with the snow. I'm somewhere between you two. It's like once a week here. Well, no, it's not once a week here. <laughs> anyway, soon it'll be over. I'm looking at the at the uh, the extended forecast. It looks like it's going to be like 50, 60 degrees soon. So I'm looking forward to that. Get rid of all this snow. Let me let my softball team go out there and practice, and let's have some fun. Anyway, thanks so much to Kyle and to Tristan. I am Eric. Have an awesome week.